right, and we are live. What is going on, my specialists? SPC, Grogu, and, of course, King's Comics. We are back for another installment of the Takalorian Live. <sighs> Austin, Man. that's right. Gosh, yeah. dude, we, we have a lot to cover after this episode, my guy. Like, holy, holy crap, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, we do. This was... <laughs> Uh, I, I gotta say, man, I mean, yeah, this this episode had definitely a lot going for it this week. Definitely had a lot of, uh, obviously, of course, you know, we had a big reveal in this, and we also had uh, some other things happen, some other people, or I guess we'll say, I guess to a degree, things messed up as that kind of sounds no no you're you're right though i mean this this is one of those episodes this episode without going into spoilers this episode is exactly what i've been talking about all season is like everything's kind of finally starting to come together Mm -hmm. you know we're finally starting to see a lot of the payoff from even the slow parts of this season yeah because i mean while the last the, the previous two weeks i mean they were still good episodes but yeah i've been kind of dwindling off i've kind of been losing some interest in the story but uh yeah this this episode definitely got me right back to Mm -hmm. how huge of a fan i am of this series well because it's like the last two episodes right we've had uh episodes three and four or i guess chapters 19 and 20 right uh we had kind of like these non sequiturs or whatever you know like these mini episodes inside of episodes so it's nice to see that even those are starting to like come together right now. Yeah, it's it's good to finally see not only just again not the the stories finally picking back up because I've been just a little worried and also a little concerned of where things were going. But yeah, this episode definitely like gave me a whole new light on the show. Yes, and I think uh, oh man, yeah, I think it. I really hope that they don't fumble the bag. Uh, th- that's like kind of what I'm saying with like out spoilers is I think that we have the potential for everything to be like peak, like at this level or above this level from here on out if they follow through. Because I mean, like, like I even too, I've been saying for the last few weeks, like everything we saw in the trailer was already done basically in the first two episodes. Like the mission right. we were supposed to be on is... Din goes to Mandalore, Mm -hmm. is in the waters under Mandalore, and Mm -hmm. he gets redeemed. And we literally got that in the first two episodes of the show. Well, and I guess that goes a little, not like actual full-on spoiler, but that goes into mild-ish spoiler territory where it's like, I think we're caught up with the trailer. Right? I think like after after this... With this this episode, yeah, yeah, we're all, we're caught up finally with the trailers. Which means there's three, there's a whole three episodes that we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, we've got a skeleton, right, based on context, but we have no idea what's going to happen over these next three episodes. Yeah, and again, now with with this episode, I'm definitely, I I don't want to wait three more weeks just to watch the show. I want the next three episodes to come out, like, tomorrow. Yes. Just because how, just how Oh, this episode was so good. <laughs> do we want to do we want to get right into it? Because I mean, I, I already, I don't know. Like, I feel like just with everything going on, there's a lot. Because 
I think it can go without saying that I'm still surprised at how much richer the Star Wars universe is because of the Mandalorian. Like everything they've done with the Mandal with Mandalorian culture, everything they've done with Navarro, with the kind of the uh, politics and like the ideology behind the Empire versus the New Republic. There's just so much going on that it's wild is coming out of this just random side project character. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think to a degree we've already kind of semi already covered our uh, spoiler-free thoughts. So, uh, so yeah, let, let's let's just let's just jump right into spoilers. Yes, we're starting a little bit early with our spoilers, and as you guys also see, uh, it's just me and Andy today, which is perfectly fine. You know, me and him, we don't just get to you know do this as much as we used to. So, so. I guess I want to ask you, right? Like at the beginning of the episode, we had a pretty big reveal. Well, I, I won't even say big reveal. It was almost like a passing Easter egg, but a pretty big one, right? Like we had a certain character who was here and that's massive for fans of like Clone Wars and Rebels, right? Do you want to like maybe, I don't know, inform me, apprise me a little bit more like about that? So, of course, obviously what Annie's talking about is... uh the big cameo of uh yeah, this, yeah. that's the word this. i was looking for yes even though you know we we talked about it in our uh, our boba fett uh, podcast we did i mean obviously you know the cameos in star wars they are getting to be a lot more repetitive because i mean mm -hmm. like andy said perfectly you know you should go into watching a show like obi-wan kenobi to see Obi-Wan Kenobi, not sit there and wait for Darth Vader to show up. Same thing, too, with uh, the Book of Boba Fett itself. You know, you don't want to watch that just to get into, you know, okay, well, when's Mando going to be here? When's Mando going to yep. be in here? <laughs> Same thing, too, with, you know, Cad Bane, when he popped up, you know, we sat there waiting for that. But with the Mandalorian, I I've said it from day one, from the first uh, wow, cameo we got in the show, that was... The cameos in The Mandalorian are very essential to the story. Yes. As far as this cameo, I don't know if it's going to be important to this side of the story, but I do feel it's going to help out with the upcoming Ahsoka show. Yes. Which, uh, I guess, just to kind of get out with it, uh, we now have... Zeb from Star Wars Rebels in live action. He is a <laughs> fighter pilot from the looks of it in the New Republic. Right. Alongside, uh, who was that? Carson Teva or Carson Teva? Uh, yeah, I think that's what his name is. I just, I just call him Uncle Iroh because that's the uh, voice <laughs> actor for Uncle Iroh. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. But yes, I mean, exactly. It's just, so that was I mean, even just with a little bit of Star Wars Rebels info I have, that was jaw-dropping even to me. I mean, we've talked about how sometimes it's hard to gauge how full scent, how much they're going to, like, incorporate other characters from, like, Rebels and Clone Wars fully. And I think this just kind of cements the fact that they are, that we are, they are without a doubt incorporating, like, almost every aspect of those shows into uh, Star Wars canon. Well, the thing I like the most about this cameo is not only did the guy who does the voice for Zeb return to, again, voice Zeb, 
Mm-hmm. But he also, I didn't even know this. Like, I like legit thought this was like almost practical effects because that's just how good he looks. But the guy who also plays Zeb came and did the motion capture for him. Oh, well, what? in this episode, I found that out, and that was. That was pretty cool. There's also a couple extra little cameos that you well, apparently a lot of people, you know, didn't get to see. We've got three former directors of previous episodes of The Mandalorian in really? year two. They're sitting at a table. We've got uh, Dave Filoni. Obviously, okay. of course, you know, everybody knows who Dave Filoni is by now. We also got uh, Rick Famuyiwa who directed a oh. couple of episodes of The Mandalorian and is yeah. also an executive producer for this season. And we also got Deborah Chow, the director of multiple episodes of Mando and the director of all six episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show as well. Dude, I need, okay, see, that's interesting. So that's making sense why those names were dropped in the end credits. Because yep. I saw them and I was like, wait, no, like I thought... uh. Who directed that episode, Dave Filoni, or this episode was? Oh boy, yeah, I don't even remember. But I say that because yeah, I was like wondering why all these other directors were getting like name dropped. That makes so much sense now. Yeah, I can't remember who directed. I only know that uh, Filoni did last week's episode, if I remember right. Yes, Carl okay. Weathers did episode two or three. And I know uh, next week is Bryce Dallas Howard is coming back, and she's going to be directing episode six of this season. I'm actually super excited. I love Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, that excites the heck out of me. Oh, I, I like I like her directing. I think that she's directed some of the better episodes. I know her first one she did was in the first season. I think it was episode four when uh, – the little village where Cara Dune is at, and the yes. ATST comes and attacks. I, I love that episode. I got so I many did. Jurassic Park vibes. I got a lot of, uh, I know, uh, I want to say, what's the one I'm looking for? Seven Samurai vibes. Okay. You know, like just these uh, just these warriors helping this village like band together to like take on like an overwhelming enemy. Kind mm-hmm. of, I'm sure someone can like think of a better example than what I'm thinking, but yeah, I think Jurassic Park and then kind of that like samurai western showdown style um vibes are what i think of jurassic park's a good actually no 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 i like the jurassic park comparison more because that atat was like monstrous yeah just the way it was coming out of the forest too just (laughs) jurassic park is my favorite film of all time just just a little heads up for you there i need to oh i forgot about that dang man i wait seriously i figured no, that tracks. I, you like horror? I was gonna say I figured it would have been a horror movie, but it's like no. Jurassic Park was a horror movie, um, like a good sci-fi horror. Dang, that's a uh, never put Man, never put that together till now. Yeah, a lot of people always think it's like a Star Wars movie or like the original Halloween. Like they're up there, but yeah, uh, mm-hmm. OG Jurassic Park is <laughs> where is the directions right here. Favorite movie of all time. Love it. Perfection at its best. I'm going to go ahead and say that's a really good comparison to that episode. But bringing it back, I guess bringing it back, yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard episode. I don't want to get overhyped, right? Because especially after this latest episode, I feel like the bar's been set. Um, I think it might be my favorite of all season. I'll give my rating at the end of the episode alongside you. But it looks like Peter Ramsey directed this episode. And uh, oh, okay. 
and John Favreau wrote it. So, man, uh, yeah, I guess starting off the episode, let's go into we get to see kind of more of the politics, right, of the New Republic and how because Navarro is considered like an outer rim world outside of Republic territory, they're literally just kind of like cast aside. So, man, I like that that kind of circles back around to episode three with like Alia Kane and Dr. Pershing storyline. I hate her so much. Dude, she is doing a good job. Like she's, she's selling me on the, uh, she's selling me on her performance, but I think this episode kind of like, kind of makes me think something was up with her character. You know what I mean? Is like kind of thinks there's like some deeper motivations behind her character's action after this episode. I just think of uh, every time so, I see her now on screen, I just think of uh, I guess and Josh. To me, it indicates that I don't know if she's like still self-serving or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking too. I'm ima- I, I'm imagining that. I don't know. I, we'll, we'll get to the end of it. We'll get to you know what. A lot of what I have to say about Elijah Kane is going to come in like at the end of the episode. So I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold off on that for now. Um, okay. I will. I will say that seeing those interactions though in the New Republic and with uh, Tim with Tim Meadows cameo. Um, Gosh, I, I love Tim Meadows. That guy's so funny to me. So that was, that was nice as well. But seeing those interactions with them and Captain Tiva and then him eventually going, or Commander Tiva and him going to the Mandalorian to like talk to them was really interesting because it's like showing how big of a role that the Mandalorians, I think, are starting to, how big their like little faction is starting to play like on a grander scale now. It, Tim Meadows, that's who that is. I don't know why. Yeah. For whatever reason, yeah. <laughs> when the episode first came out, I'm like, oh, Don Cheadle. I'm like, oh, that's not Don <laughs> Wow. But I'm like, oh, he looks so he looks so familiar. I know I've seen him in something, but okay, that's who that is. Yes, I had to think about that, too, because it was just so, like, I had to do a spit take because it was so jarring, some of the people that you see in, like, Star Wars media now. So I was like, is that is that really Tim Meadows? Yeah, I, I I enjoyed his character enough. He still had like a little bit of that like comedicness that he always has in all his roles and everything. But and yeah, that whole interaction between Elia Kane and I'm just gonna call him Uncle Iroh because I can't remember yeah. what his character's name is for whatever reason. And Car- Carson uh, Tiva, you said Tiva. Tiva, yeah, I think it's Tiva. I know. Yeah. I'm, maybe I'm pronouncing it Tiva just because like Tiva the shoes or whatever. But uh, yeah, Carson Tiva. If I'm mispronouncing it, I will, uh, I'm not, this is not a hill I'm going to die on. If I'm mispronouncing it, I'll burn that bridge when I get there. But, uh, yeah, Carson Tiva, but I think Tim Meadows was a good cast right there because it feels like it highlights how kind of comical, like everything going on in that scene was right. Is how they're like, oh yeah, we're backed up on issues or, oh, they're not really a outer world planet or like, you know, oh yeah, you know, it'll make, like, you know, it'll make them want to be a Republic planet is if they get attacked by pirates <laughs> like it, it's just so like it's so absurd that i feel like his character being in that scene kind of highlights how kind of darkly comedic it is mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy the character of uh carson i i 
I think he was supposed to be like a leading role in that uh, Rangers of the New Republic, that Cara really? Dune spinoff we were supposed to get oh, yeah, many right. years ago, of course, until the whole, you know, Gina Carano yeah. controversy. So, but uh, Yikes. I, I, I like him enough as a character that I would be interested in him just getting like his own episode. Yeah, I think when you put it that way, I'm after seeing him, I'm surprised that we didn't see him in the uh I'm surprised we didn't see him in like episode three, you know, like the Elijah Kane Dr. Pershing episode. I feel like that could have been like good to get a little bit more like light on him, but uh I'm still happy with what we got. Yeah. And I mean, obviously too, like we also talked about, you know, he goes to Still, I don't really know what the planet is, but I do like how he does actually like go there and he walks, just walks up into that cave with the Mandalorians. And he's just got his arms out like this. Like, I don't mean you no harm. And there's three of them just sitting on top of the rocks ready to shoot him. Dude, can we, uh, can we, now that we've like brought that up, can we go into like the uh, tribunal, the little tribunal they have inside the cave? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I wanted to get to that next. So, okay. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? You know, I, I liked it to a degree, but I don't know why. I, I felt like uh, it was almost, I felt like I was watching like an elementary school version of Star Wars. Because really? they're all like, they're all like, oh, who wants to talk next? And they hand it out and they have to have the, they have to have the stick so they can talk. Whoever has <laughs> yeah, the stick like, can speak. That's like, uh, what am I thinking? Like, uh, not Hunger Games. Wow, that was a weird. Lord of the Flies. Um, nope, I'm thinking yep. like Lord of the Flies, like they have to have the conch to speak. Yep. I I did, although I did like it. I mean, it was cool to actually see like all the Mandalorians together. They're all giving their thoughts and opinions on, you know, oh, should we go and help Grief Karga and the people of Navarro? Because, of course, I think another reason I really like this episode, because it ties back to season one, which I, I will still say. I guess to me personally, I still think it's probably the best season of this whole show in general. Of The Mandalorian? Yep. No, I, I agree. I uh, It's not even because anything has been bad. I think it's just because that first season did such beautiful like world and character building mm-hmm. that it's hard to recapture that. Especially because now it almost feels like that thing that got, you know, it's like that thing that wasn't supposed to be popular. And now that it is popular, everybody like wants to have to do with it. So it's like kind of oversaturated, you know. What I mean? So it feels like the man- first season got to be its own little thing, but now because it's doing so well, like everything's starting to tie into it, or it's being used to like launch a bunch bunch of like spinoff series or whatever. Yep. That it's lost a little bit of that like uniqueness in a way for me. Yeah, I, the first season seems so just self-contained, and now like, not that it's yeah, not it. that it. Not that anything's bad about this season so far, but now it just feels so huge and grand now that we're bringing in other Mandalorians, yeah. the Dark Saber, then bringing their culture together and all that. So, well, it's kind of like the uh, it's kind of like the it's kind of like a consolidated version of like the MCU dilemma, right? Or cinematic universe dilemma, which is that the more and more you go along, the more back history you need to kind of like be like fully apprised and up to date with things, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's like, uh, when we were talking about season one and season two, you know, when we were talking about season one, it was like, Oh, Andy, you need to watch X, Y, Z episodes of the clone wars and like X, Y episodes of 
Rebels. And it's like, okay, cool. And then we get to season two. It's like, okay, you should actually watch this story arc in Rebels and this story arc and these three story arcs in Clone Wars. And it's like, okay, okay, fair enough. And now it's like, okay, Andy, you should probably read the Thrawn legacy books, (laughs) you know, like the Thrawn (laughs) Supremacy books. And, you know, it's like asking someone to like watch 26 Marvel movies before you watch Ant-Man Quantumania. I mean, the only reason, obviously, it, it'll just make things will make a lot more sense to you. Because, I mean, weirdly enough, after watching this episode, I had right. such, like, uh, huge. What's the word I want to use? My Lord. Um, wow. I just totally spaced out my entire thought there. No, you're good. Uh, oh, uh, the urge. Wow, there we go. Wow, that was a, that was a <laughs> very, very small word to remember, but I had the urge to continue watching Rebels, and mm-hmm. so Thursday, I, I did do that. I continued watching Rebels. I got through season two finally, which, oddly enough, I found out uh, this past Thursday was the seven-year anniversary of the season two finale, Twilight of the Apprentice, which really had... Uh, yeah, it was kind of just weird because I was like, I just, I just want to watch Rebels. So, I, I got to watch the, uh, the duel between Darth Vader and Ahsoka, which was a beautiful duel, beautiful storytelling Gosh. by Dave Filoni. And then I did get into season three, a couple episodes, so I got to see the introduction of Thrawn, the way he kind of works things together. Because I just I just also wanted to see Zeb because of course we just saw him in live action. I'm like, you know what? Let's let's just go back. Let's yeah. let's just see how he is. Dude, that's that's so freaking awesome. That uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back around to like the uh, the Mandalorian Coven because I think we could go we could go about this like all day. But I think yeah, to your point, um, the first season was so like consolidated and uh, what was the word you used? You used a good one. Um, Self contained. Yes. Um, so self-contained, but that doesn't mean I don't like what's going on because this was kind of the first time we saw them all like making a collective decision, right? Like actually like having a council. So that was interesting. Yeah. I got a lot of vibes. I, even though obviously it's totally different, but I got a lot of vibes from like the prequels when the Jedi council all get together. Yes. But I think that's also why it's nice because when the Jedi council gets together, they don't make like very emotionally driven decisions. You know, like it, it's kind of the point of the Jedi council to not do this, but then between Din and between like positive speech, I, I, I straight up wanted to like slam pre-workout and like run my head through like dry, like drywall. Like I was amped up, you know, it was like <laughs> pause Vizsla just going, we are Mandalorians. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is, this is this is the adrenaline rush. This is this is what I'm looking for when I watch The Mandalorian. Is uh, <laughs> I was a little I was concerned at first because I thought he was going to be like, why sh- why should we help him out? He's never helped us out. I'm like, no, right. just let them die. Like, oh, wow, okay, but no. Then like you said, we are Mandalorians. We will go. We will <laughs> yeah. do this. I think it's also awesome because you get to see how much attention they pay to like more minor characters and their character arcs. Like Paz Vizsla has like always been like, just like had some like enmity within and, and of course, you know, uh, Bo-Katan, 
but doesn't like wear it on his sleeve. You know what I mean? It's more like he's cautious or hesitant to deal with them because they kind of play by their own rules to an extent. Yep. But he doesn't do that. Like he doesn't disregard them. He's just very cautious. And we see that a lot with his interactions in the first season when he's fighting to protect Grogu. And then in this season where he's like on edge a little bit, but he still will go with them to like rescue his kid. He'll still work with them. He still follows Mandalorian creeds and lets uh, Bo-Katan take her helmet off by the fire. So I really like his character development and like just how they uh, explore how like faithful and loyal he is to like the, to Mandalorian culture and the tribe. The tribe, that's what they're called. The tribe, yes. I, I, I'm i definitely coming around to pause. I mean, I didn't mind him in the first season, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, when I saw him again in uh, Book of Boba Fett when he was alongside the armorer, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just kind of more like, eh. same thing too with the first time I saw him in this episode, or in this season, but yeah, I agree. I, I like what they're doing with him. I don't know if he's going to maybe next season become a more like valued member of the yeah. show. Maybe have a lot more to do instead of just, you know, coming out, saying a few lines, being cool with his big old Gatling gun he's got and stuff. I feel like they're building, I feel like they're building up a lot towards that. Maybe a long con thing, because mm-hmm. based on the history, from my understanding, that uh, clan that clan Vizsla has with the Darksaber, right? I think that they're building a lot more towards that. Hopefully not to like, I don't know. Hopefully not for the sake of like just like some big clash or like falling out, but I feel like that has to be like very intentional. Why they're mentioning he has a son, you know, and why they're mentioning that he he and Bo-Katan are interact interacting more. Because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, he is a part of. As I've said before many times, he's part of the family of yep. Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian Jedi. So it, it would make sense for him to either once again compete for the dark saber or maybe even just eventually you know get it either mm-hmm. way so oh gosh man i and that's what interests me is because i mean at the end of this episode that also raises some questions about who is actually going to lead you know like the mandalorians or new mandalore whatever you want to call it oh that that actually goes i'm going to skip ahead a little bit how do we feel about them like getting a plot of land Right, like getting their own. I like it because I mean, obviously, of course, you know, they're their thing. You know, once somebody discovers where they are, they have to move. Which, again, another thing I I liked about you know Carson when he came out, he's like, I know you'll, I knew you guys will find a new home anyway, but you know, just to let you know, I I won't say a word that I've saw you guys here. Then he just leaves. But I think it's it kind of works because I don't know why. Like the wife was watching it with me, and we we're just starting to watch The Witcher. No. She oh, was yeah, asking sure. me too. She's like, "So are these guys like the Witchers?" I'm like, I, <laughs> "What do you mean?" She's like, "Well, do they like go and help people?" I'm like, "Well, normally no. They just kind of keep to themselves, and you know, maybe if they get something in the end, yeah, then they'll go mm-hmm. and help. But other than well, that, they're just they're just Mandalorians. They just do their thing and call it a day." Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, because Mount Mandalorians are traditionally like kind of, or I guess after the diaspora and all that, are like kind of more bounty hunter, you know, bounty hunter-ish, or at least what we gather from Din, you know, it's like they're taking jobs and doing things. So I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting to see like uh, 
like Paz put it in the cave or Paz put it in the cave is like, it's time that we should be like living in the light, you know, or, or if Din was saying that, I forget, you know, like that our kids will get to see the sun, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, that I think, was emotional. I was going to say, I think Din was saying that because he's like, our children should be in the light playing with other kids and stuff like that. I mean, I, I agree. I don't, because like first season, all the Mandalorians who were there, they were all underground. And then of course, when, Din was being attacked by Grief Karga and all his men. Then they came out and helped, and they went to mm-hmm. find their own place. Obviously, of course, we saw where at least the Armorer and Paz Vizsla went after the events of that first episode. We saw them in Book of Boba Fett, and now we've got at least a decent portion of Mandalorians together. Obviously, of course, we still have a whole other faction still out there, which... I'm theorizing that's where the next episode's going to be. I feel like we're going to have a mostly, like, Bo-Katan-focused episode. Yeah. I feel like she's going to try and maybe go out and convince the, uh, I believe it's Casca Reeves. That's uh, mm-hmm. who that professional wrestler Sasha Banks, who she plays, and the mm-hmm. other guy from episode three of last season, I believe it was. Oh, was right. There. Yeah. Because, of course, everybody who was there with Bo-Katan, obviously, they all left because of, you know, her losing the Darksaber again, essentially. Well, do we do we know if, like, there's potential of her interacting with Sabine Wren at any point? I mean, this, this season, I'll say, right? Because I know that's been something that you've talked extensively about, if, like, if that might be something that happens or something you want to see. Do we think that's something that might happen this season, all things considered? I feel like maybe not exactly Bo interacting with her. I'd say okay. maybe like a conversation at some point, but I feel like if they're going to introduce Sabine in this show, again, because I, from what I understand and from what I've seen, she's supposed to be a major character in the Ahsoka show as well because her mm-hmm. and Ahsoka at the... Spoiler, Andy. Obviously, it's not really super minor, but Come you on, know. You're good. But uh, at the end of Rebels, the very last episode, uh, Sabine and Ahsoka they're going to look for Ezra because of yes. of where Ezra and Thrawn, wherever they went to. So I would assume maybe Ahsoka is going to be with Sabine. So maybe, maybe again, maybe it could be Mando. Maybe it could be Bo, but. I could see Sabine popping up in this season, but I don't think it'd be till like probably the last episode. I feel like the last episode of this season is going to probably be a huge like push into the Ahsoka show of where it's going to go. Yeah. And I think that all the more kind of uh, builds into my theory. Let's, let's talk about like what happened on Navarro in a second, because like, I think, after the end of this episode, it builds into my theory that Thrawn's going to be kind of like dealt with in an Avenger style fashion. You know, like we're, we're going to have multiple characters from multiple series crossover to like take him out. But uh, that is that, that that's down the line. I think uh, I'm thinking about like, what do you think about like the kind of conflict on Navarro and what it means for the Mandalorians or the series or just what Gorian Shard, you know, like the Pirate King or whatever. What do you think of him in this whole fiasco they went through? Well, I feel like it is a good way for the Mandalorians as they were to, you know, for them to be out in the light, for them to maybe 
interact with another part of society instead of just Mandalorians, you know, they could probably walk in town, do their thing. No one will question them. But the whole thing with them going and fighting the pirates, I mean, I, I loved it. Like, again, yeah. I got such huge, like, throwback to that episode in season one of them coming up and fighting all the other, the bounty hunters or whatever they were. Like, it was cool. I got to say, I, I, I'm unpopular opinion. I think right now my second favorite Mandalorian is the one who had, like, the the – it's like a maroon helmet, like the whole yeah. red Mandalorian. Cause yeah, he was just like did man. I, he was awesome. I, yeah. I would love to find out more about him. I, I also love getting to see them like act more. It felt like, it felt like there was this interesting parallel between like, you know, the first time we saw them fleeing Navarro and how it felt like chaotic, right. You know, like they're just having to hold things down and yes, support each other and support Din. But, you know, it was still, like, pretty chaotic because everything's hitting the fan. Yeah. But now we have them, like, operating, like, more in, like, a more tactical fashion. You know, like, they've got an A team and a B team. They're, like, providing, like, covering and flanking fire for each other. Like, it just felt – it felt awesome to get to see them, like, work as, like, a coordinated, like, collaborative team versus how, you know, Mandalorians, at least in my experience, are kind of, like, more isolated or, like, kind of more, like, lone – shooter kind of style i don't lone ranger style but that's also because i haven't watched as much star wars stuff as you have yeah i mean i the from what i've gathered from seeing what i have of mandalorians i got i feel like they're more how they are in the last four episodes of clone wars the whole uh the whole siege on mandalore mm -hmm. how they're more of like all together going and doing one thing instead of like like you just said you know have an a and a b team have them do okay thing. interesting Okay, well, that's a good framework. That's a good frame of reference. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I got to get your thoughts. What was your thoughts about uh, the armorer in action this episode? Man, I literally like, looked at my friend. We were watching it. I looked at my buddy, and I was like just like giggling and like gleeful. I was just like, like watching her just knock the crap out of these dudes that were mowing down the Mandalorians in the street was awesome. Um, I mean, I've been very vocal about how much I love the armor as a character, but especially in this episode, seeing her in action, because we, we've seen her in action before, right? Like when they're uh, in the first episode of the season, when she has to save one of the foundlings. But also in this episode, we're seeing her like actively fighting with her hammer and with her like tongs and things like that. I think it would have been nice to see her with a gun or something like that. Or like, I don't know, some like whistling, some whistling birds or something like that. But uh I still am, was happy to see her in action and happy to see her like out and about. So not just like a monarch or like this kind of shadow puppeteer figure. So that's always lovely. I do like though, how she's one of the only few Mandalorians who's using like more melee weapons. She's yeah. taking guys out left and right while everybody else has their blasters and their, like you said too, their whistling birds and everything. So dude, that's a good, that's a really good point. Cause now we've got, I think like the three like hand to hand or like, you know, martial artists, so to speak, that we've seen in this series have been uh, Boba, you know, with his club, uh, Din with the Darksaber and with his uh, spear or, yep. you know, Rip. That spear was sick. And then uh, the armor and her hammer and tongs. So that is a good reminder of how like hand to hand pro combat proficient like Mandalorians can be as well. Yeah, there's also too when we uh, when we talk about the ending of the episode, I, I do have another 
question I will lead into in regards to the armorer, but uh Okay. Okay. But that whole yeah, that whole the whole fight on Navarro, I, I loved it. I mean we had not only just ground combat, but again for the third or fourth time now this season, we've got like spaceship battles again. Like I again, man, I will say I miss I miss the Razor Crest so much. Yeah. But him getting that N1 Starfighter is the best thing that could have happened. And yes. That, all the action with that is so beautiful. Dude, Gorian Shard and his whole crew got decimated by two ships. Like, that's that's embarrassing. I mean, it was, it was beautiful, but, like, seeing the maneuvers Dan was pulling off, and, like, I mean... Bo-Katan didn't have to do too, too much, but like at the same time, you know, she was still running diversion, giving him like, you know, like still taking out engines and like gunners, but didn't like really didn't, didn't smoke these guys with a kid in his lap. You know, like he's lighting people up, taking them down. He's got a kid and he's babysitting. Yeah. (laughs) Literally babysitting. And he's, yeah. Uh, I, I did really enjoy a lot of the, uh, Starfighter action, yes, regardless in this episode, because I, I love seeing again, I love seeing Din in the N1 Starfighter, and I've really come around too to liking a lot of what I've seen from Bo, like just not even her like hand to hand combat, like we've yes. seen, but her and her Starfighter too is she's a very impressive Mandalorian. Well, they also did a good job of, like, displaying her, like, leadership abilities in this episode, too. I think those really, like, came to light, right? Like, she's maneuvering, dropping people off. She's, like, giving them, like, aerial support. She's, like, co- co- actively having to coordinate with Din to take out the car- the uh, the main ship. Mm-hmm. Man. It was... I know. It was... That's the kind of action that we've been wanting all season. I mean, we got some of that in a... I think the second episode, but no, just seeing them have to like take out this massive ship, like with just two starfighters in essence was awesome. I will say though, I am kind of slightly sad that the gore is gone now. Yeah. Cause I, I, not that we really knew a lot about him, but like I would have liked to have seen him be like a more minor villain. Well, isn't that what you were talking about earlier is like how, Pirates were supposed to be kind of a component or like a main antagonistic force and skeleton, skeleton crew or something like that. Yeah, I kept hearing the rumors that these these pirates in general were supposed to be like the main villains in the skeleton crew, which obviously, of course, you know, we saw the main lead pirate we saw in the very first episode of this season. We saw him take off, go do his yep. own thing. So I, I would assume we're going to get him back, maybe what happens in skeleton crew maybe takes place after this. Maybe he goes and gets a whole nother crew again. Yeah. So interested to see where that guy's going to go. Cause I mean, not that he was the greatest villain, but again, he was an interesting enough villain for me to right. be invested in. And I mean, and it also goes a long way to say that he's like very like, I don't know if cutthroat's the right word, but he's very self serving. So I think yes. especially as a pirate, well, you know, it's like what they say is a uh, oh gosh it's like what they say you know is a don't, never don't trust pirates or never trust a pirate like din said in the first episode yep i don't know why too i got a lot of like pirates of the caribbean vibes too from all these 
all these pirates, like the way they were interacting and the way they were fighting and stuff. Like, man, I also like that we got a uh, like I like uh, I literally said I like those odds when you know they're like you're outnumbered ten to one. Yes, I I I, I looked at the wife and I started shaking her. I'm like, it's a hot solo reference. <laughs> She's like, just staring at me like. God, you're a loser. I'm like, I know. I'm <laughs> oh, but it was so. Oh my gosh, man! I think it's funny because now we've kind of we've almost seen Mando claim. We're seeing him like almost claim more casualties in battle than like Poe has in the entire like trilogy. Um, yes, dude. That's man. I I know. I love. I love talking crap about the new trilogy because of how like Mandalorian's kind of outperforming everything it intended to do. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I I would have loved to have seen at least maybe some of these Mandalorians in the new trilogy. But again, yeah. I I guess we don't know what really happens to the Mandalorian because they don't talk about Mandalorians really at all in like the saga. Any of the well, mainline movies, we don't really hear a lot about Mandalorians. And I think that's why things like this um, and the Siege on Navarro are so, are so important is because it has a huge political implication, and especially at the end of the episode, right? Is It's clear that there's some Empire stuff moving in the background, you know, like, but the New Republic has clearly, like, gone out of its way to, well, has, like, not helped Mandalore or the Mandalorians. The New Republic refused to help Navarro, and Ma- the Mandalorians had to pretty much step up to help with like Navarro, and are now working on reclaiming Mandalore. So it's interesting to see all this because it's like, yeah, I feel like Mandal. To your point, I feel like Mandalorians were kind of the uh, ugly stepchild, you know, that are now getting their chance to shine. And it feels like Disney is just like, oh, yeah, Mandalorians have always been cool. Like, we've always loved Mandalore. Like, you know, Mandalorians are the thing. The Mandalorians are the it child, you know? like Yeah, because uh, I, I, I there's a book. I, I guess I, don't, I probably never showed you them, but they have, like, four, I believe it's four different books, maybe five. There's uh, the Jedi Trials, the, the Book of the Sith, and then there's Imperial Handbook. There's also one about like Mandalorians. They talk about you know the culture, the different kind of armors, the fighting styles and stuff. I really want to get that because this this show, and of course, you know, going through Rebels, going through Clone Wars, I'm a lot more interested in Mandalorians. I mean, yes, slowly working its way up of becoming some of my favorite things in Star Wars. Yeah, I think I remember being a kid and always hearing about Boba and Jango Fett and being really disappointed with like how hyped those hyped up those characters were and how little they were done with like how little was done with them. Mm-hmm. So I liked Mandalorians as a kid or, or I liked the idea of them, but I think I just liked the idea of like Jango and Boba. So getting to see more Mandalorian stuff is like, okay, yeah, I I, I love Mandalorians. Like this is awesome. Like Man, it's just the show is so good. The show is so good. I mean, the one thing that's cool, I mean, not knowing much about Mandalorians at the time, I mean, you know, getting to see a guy like Jango Fett literally going toe to toe against a Jedi master in Attack of the Clones was. I I liked it. 
It's one mm-hmm. of the better parts of Attack of the Clones, but yeah, I wish we could have gotten a lot more from you know Django Fetch. And obviously, I've I've always said it, you know, Boba's overrated, but I wish we could have seen more of that kind of Boba, like we got in season two, Amando, in the original trilogy. Boba might be the worst. No, I, I'm not even like calling it bad. It was just mid, you know, Book of Boba. Um, but I think it is an example of like the hardest that someone has fumbled the bag, so to speak, with respect to a media franchise or like a character people have wanted to see on screen. Because I think seeing Zeb, I think seeing Zeb in this episode made me realize how dirty Cad Bane got done in Book of Boba. You know, because Zeb looked great here. You know what I mean? Is like I'm assuming it was like partial practical effects and like clearly like mocap, like you said. But like Cad Bane's like makeup just looked bad, like in Book of Boba. You know, like it looked a little like bulky. I don't know. Um, See that? That's where you and I disagree. I thought okay, he looked okay. pretty good, pretty like accurate to how he looks in the the animated shows. Okay. Well, I guess what I mean is like he looked good. Well, I mean, like he looked good. But there was I, just something off. Yes, it, it was. Yes, thank you. It was like kind of uncanny valley. You know what I mean? Is like where I'm looking at Zeb and I'm like, okay, like this is what I expect, you know, like because like I can tell there's a little bit of CG, but he still looks like proper, like he looks like he fits. Mm-hmm. But Cad Bane in like Book of Boba looked a little off, and I can't explain it. I mean, I I, I can agree. Like, obviously, you you get so used to seeing some of these characters, you know, animated, and then you mm. see them how they look in live action. You're kind of like, oh, that's uh, not really right, but. That's fair. I didn't have I didn't have a problem with the way Cad Bane looked, but you know, since we're kind of already on the subject of him, I'm kind of also wondering though if, figuratively, say I again, I'm not sure. I've just heard the rumors again, but if if Boba were to show up, and I don't know whether he be a part of the culture or he just you know does what he did last season, just come in and help Din. I'm really curious to how he would interact with all these other Mandalorians. Like, would he he be like Bo? Would he be a little more willing to like, you know, interact with them, maybe become a little bit more cultured with? I think that the way I think he might be standoffish because of his like kind of current station on tat in Tatooine. Right. Uh I think that'll probably definitely influence things. But I think at the very least, I feel like he's going to play a role in some facet in the like the the siege to reclaim or the battle to reclaim Mandalore. Like if he's just providing like additional firepower, you know, like forces, something like that, you know, from like Tatooine. I don't know, but I do feel like he's going to help in some way, even if he's not directly tied into the main Mandalorian culture. Just just thought of this while you were talking. Okay, okay, let's go. It's another another one of those what if Star Wars what if you and I should we you and I should just do that do a Star Wars Star Wars what if, what if. yeah oh so I got a big did, one of those for you so that's a, at the end at the end but let's okay. let, let's hear yours I'm excited okay so figuratively say things don't work out on Tatooine for Boba figuratively okay. say you know. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. Everybody leaves him. Nobody wants okay. to be around him. Whatever. What if? Uh, sorry. Okay. Okay. I'm a, I'm a loser, but whatever. Um, no, no, no. Come on with it. 
what if he were to challenge Din, beat him for the Darksaber, and he's the one who leads Mandalore? So, oh, so, mm. Maybe, so there, he'll be, maybe he'll be as cool as he was in the second season again. All I'm saying is, like, there's not an immediate, like, I do not see Boba. I do not see current Boba if I had a power scale or whatever kids like to do these days. Yep. If I had to bank current Boba against, like, current Din, I do not see that ending well for Boba. Like, yeah. like and that sucks to say, but it's like, you know, that's kind of like Boba, like, Boba's simmering in his like tank for like half of the uh, half of the uh, you know like half the season. Of Boba. Yeah, so yeah. I know that that sucks to say, but it's like what I could see though is if my thought has been that I think someone is going to beat Din, like challenge and beat Din for the dark saber, and then Bo-Katan is going to challenge that person and get the dark saber off of them. I don't think they're going to have a direct Mando v Bo-Katan. You know what I mean? Do you think maybe it would end up being Moff Gideon, and then Bo gets that that shot at redemption? Oh, not only just beat Moff Gideon because obviously we still don't really know what happened with do we wanna, Moff Gideon and Bo, and do we want to go to the, the dark saber back? Do we want to start to go into the end of the episode then, or uh, hold off for now? Let's hold off because okay. I, I, I kind of want to continue this conversation a little bit yeah. more because of my curiosity. Is, so I think that that's honestly one of the better like theories out there. If if we find out what happens to Moff Gideon, like if he's alive or not, if he's still captive, if something happens, I like the thought of him of Moff Gideon being bitter and petty as hell, getting his get back against you know like Din, probably like get t- taking a cheap shot or something like that, and then. Bo getting her get back on Moth. I think that would be poetic justice in the biggest, like, full circle way. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good eye. That's a good theory. That's a real good theory. I mean, it could happen. It could happen. So before we actually get to, like, the actual ending of the episode, as you just brought up, uh, one more big event actually happens. Okay. So at the end of the battle, after, you know, Grief Karga. Oh, yeah, Karga, yeah. And, you know, the Mandalorians are all kind of interacting, kind of whatever, chit-chatting. Bo is just standing there. Paz Vizsla comes up behind. The armorer wants to see you. They go back down to where their old lair used to be, where she smelted all of Mando's armor. And, of course, Paz Vizsla takes off. These two have a very interesting conversation. She basically, the armorer basically now says, like, I believe you, the Mythosaur is real. Like, if you saw it, you are the one to lead the Mandalorians. You are the one to bring the Mandalorians back together. I think, so kind of like circling back, I think... That in the last episode, that kind of insinuates that she didn't, she didn't not believe Bo-Katan about not seeing the Mythosaur. It sounded like she was just like skeptical. Like she had to, yeah. she was like really like she was really mulling it over in her head. Like, what does this mean? 
like did she see it did she not not like she was being immediately dispensive like oh yeah of course you saw the mythosaur like people see stuff all the time yeah but now it seems like it was a very calculated statement she made like you know she was like saying it because she didn't want to full sense say she believed her but she was also like insinuating that okay like i need to i need to really think about like what i think you know like i really need to think about this so the armor bringing that up again <sighs> uh, I, I just cut you off please continue i am well, now that also leads me into uh, my question for you now that I had because uh, I've been seeing quite a few people doing another theory about this show. Okay. Some people are actually thinking that secretly the armorer is a backstage villain. She's slowly trying to like split up the Mandalorians again? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, she has that moment where she looks at Bo, she's like, remove your helmet. She's like, what? Why? 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 Why would I do that? And then she kind of, you know, talks about how her Bo-Katan, how she's kind of delved away and has her own ways of doing things. So now she walks back out to all the Mandalorians without her helmet on, even Paz Vizsla's like, how come she doesn't have her helmet on? And then Armorer says, you know, oh, well, she's going to go get more Mandalorians and we are going to reclaim our legacy again and become one again. Mm-hmm. I th- that's, uh, that's why people are theorizing that she's secretly trying to start, like, a Mandalorian war. Because, obviously, you know, you have... Your one group who we are very familiar with now where they're like, we do not take off our helmets. We do not show our face to anybody. If not, we are out. And you have this other group where they have their own beliefs. They don't have, they're not wearing their helmets. They're doing their own thing too. So obviously, of course, you know, that war of differences. Obviously, we saw a little bit of the banter between Paz Vizsla and Bo and even Din and Bo too at certain mm-hmm. parts throughout the series. So I mean, could that also be where we lead? Maybe Bo goes and gets a Boba Fett. So we have like a Boba Fett yeah. army versus Din's army kind of thing. Like I, I don't know. I don't. I'm heavily biased to say I don't agree with that opinion because I. I am heavily biased, and I admit that I ca- I cannot have this happen. Not the armor, please. Not the armor, like please, <laughs> please, not the armor, man. Like, not my bay, not her, please. Straight up, I have not sent this hard. Oh gosh, please don't tell my girlfriend that. I haven't sent this not. hard for a fictional character in a long time. Like, and that is weird to say, but I legitimately, all joking aside, I just really love the armor as this somewhat benevolent but also somewhat like neutral figure you know what i mean like she's not trying to start things so this is really the first time we've seen her start to like instigate something so to speak or incite something so i'd really like to think of that as like not a uh not a malicious thing like that she is truly trying to unite the mandalorian people she's not trying to be like the villainous as some people yes are because, theorizing be- she is because to me, I think what'll be telling is like 
if she challenges Din for the Darksaber or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because it could be that they're building up, like, showing her in combat this season because she's going to challenge for the Darksaber or something. Like, so that's my potential angle on that theory is if her idea is to gather all of these Mandalorians and then before them, like, fight Din or something like that for the Darksaber, beat him, and then take it. That That's where I could see it. I don't think she's trying to, like, s- split up the Mandalorians. I think she's trying to unify them and then either like rule over them or like have, or like have someone rule over them by proxy or like, because I still feel like she's the spiritual leader of the Mandalorians, not necessarily like a monarch. You know what I mean? I mean, she, obviously she has a very, she seems like she would be a good leader. I mean, (laughs) to some degree, she actually is already kind of leading the Mandalorians as it is with our knowledge. Yeah, but I, I view it kind of like, you know how you'll, you'll have kings and advisors, you know, like they'll have their, pro- a king will have like a prophet or an advisor or like, uh, like, you know, like a philosopher or something by their side to direct them. I almost feel like that's the vibe I get from the armor, right? Is like that there would be like a monarch or a king or a queen. And then the armor's role is to kind of like keep them in check, but also to like lead the people in like their, cultural ways while the king leads them in like their political and societal ways or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's me getting way too philosophical on the, <laughs> on, on interactions we haven't even seen yet and can't, and that have no, and that I have no foundation behind. I mean, to some degrees I, I could maybe see it happening. I mean, I've seen, I've seen people who I would never think would be a villain in a show and end up becoming the villain of the show. So yeah, I know. I'm just hoping that we get, I think the problem is that without someone like Moff Gideon or Thrawn stated to be the explicit antagonist of the series, it lends itself to that's not without merit. Like that theory has like some potential, like some potential, uh, I know it's got some weight, some potential weight to it because we don't have any bearing on like who or what is like the central antagonist for this season. Well, we might actually at the after um this episode, we might, but uh I'm gonna keep that theory in mind. I don't wanna write it off. I'm just I'm just not a fan of it because of what it means for my personal inherent bias for the armor as a character. Okay, fair enough. I just I just wanted to get your opinion because like I said, I've seen a lot of people theorizing that she might be the secret villain of the show. I, I think the better way to put it, the better the way I could like see that theory having more credence to it, credence as a word, is if she was more of an antagonist than a villain. Because I truly don't see her as someone who wants the Mandalorian people to be even weaker than they are right now. But I think how she goes about uniting the people is what I could see as being like up to, you know, like that I would be like skeptical of how she actually sees going about that. Because if she's having Bo-Katan remove her helmet this could kind of be that slow descent into like, like almost like kind of self-servingness or like her pushing her own agenda by like allowing this like one kind of slip up just because it serves her purposes. I don't know. So I'm going to, I'm going to say like, I'm starting to, I'm starting to see the merit to that theory. The more I like kind of think of it, but I think it's going to come from a place of uniting the people under one leader versus like trying to weaken them even more. Okay. Fair enough. I've got a question for you. 
Um, me and Brandon were talking about this last night. He had a wildly out of pocket theory, worse than that one. I mean, <clears throat> that I would believe in less than that one. <laughs> okay. He suggested, Brandon, if you're listening, uh, this is not to roast you, but he was wondering is it possible that Sabine or another quote unquote Ren, right? Like someone else in that house was the, or was or is the armorer? Like if the armorer is someone we've seen before or related to someone we've seen before being somebody we've seen before i i wouldn't think so right but yeah maybe being like related to like a bigger house in yes mandalorians i mean i could see that maybe she would be like i guess i don't i haven't gotten far enough or i don't guess i don't really remember since it's been quite a while since i've watched early seasons of rebels i just think yeah, because he brought that up, and I'm like, this starts to get into territory I need to ask Austin about. Because I'm like, dude, I don't know. I know what to think. I think Sabine might be too young to be the armor. But what is it y'all keep referencing? The world between worlds or something like that? Yes, the world between worlds. That's a big thing in season four of Rebels. And that's the thing I think is going to center around the story of the Ahsoka series. Okay. But I don't think that would have anything really to do with this, but I could see this maybe being like, if we could see it be related to Sabine, maybe it could be like a a grandmother or something. Yeah. Maybe, or I guess since the actress, I know she's not like old, but she's not like young. I think she's like middle age. Maybe it could be like Sabine's mom or something, I guess. So that was what I was saying to, uh, because I don't know the fate of Sabine's mom. Like I've seen enough. I've seen her in a couple episodes. But like I was saying to Brandon, could it be Sabine's mom, someone who is older, and like is very familiar with Mandalorian culture? Because Sabine, because Sabine was Sabine on Mandalore when the siege happened, when the initial glassing happened. Um, not I don't think not the glassing, but uh, yeah. I know from what I watched in the last few episodes of Rebels, I watched here a few days ago. She was there during the Siege of Mandalore, so in the last four episodes of Clone Wars. So she was there when Maul was there trying to take over Mandalore and the whole battle between the Maul Mandalorians and right. Because because my thought is the implicate the implication of Din being a foundling, right, is that they had already left Mandalore by that time. So Ren being a, so Sabine Ren. I know I would I would have to do a lot of fact checking on the timelines here. You know what I mean, like personally. But I was curious of your thoughts. Yeah, I like I said, if if she, I could see her being related to somebody, like I said, maybe not being somebody we've seen before. If it's somebody we've seen before, I I would have no idea who it could be because this, the voice, the way she acts, and everything, mm-hmm. I, I I would have no idea who this could be, but. I, I related to somebody in the Mandalorians, maybe even secretly being like another member of like Bo's family or something. Maybe. Yeah. I know. It's just because when he said that, I thought about it. It's like, yeah, we don't have a, the armor doesn't have an explicit house. Right. But we don't really know a lot about her background before, but it's, in, but it's also interesting that Paz Vizsla sticks close to her. You know what I mean? As if there's like maybe a reason for that you know, is like Vizsla being like obviously clan Vizsla. So it's clear that he would be the most loyal 
presumably the most loyal to like Mandalorian creeds. But at the same time, it feels very, something is starting to feel off. The more I'm talking to you about it, something's starting to feel off. And I don't like that. I've got this gut feeling that something's like going on here. The only reason I could see Paz being so close to the armor is maybe she found him as a foundling and kind of mm. raised him. I could see that. But that would also imply that he was part of House Vizsla. Oh. Well, he is part of House Vizsla. Well, right. But I, I guess what I mean is like, so. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. My my wheels are finally turning. No, you're good. Gotcha. So that So that's what. Because I mean, there's technically nothing implying she's not House Vizsla. So that is that is true. That is very true. So Andy, let's uh, let's now get into the very final scene yes. of this episode, <laughs> and I'm gonna let you take over for this one because I I brought up quite a bit of the previous thing. So I uh, know, uh, man. I uh, put your put your tinfoil hats on all right because uh at the end of this episode we see that the ship that was transporting moff gideon had had a bne had some breaking and entering action going on right so so we don't know where he's at and that's the scary part we don't know where he's at if he's alive or dead we don't know who might have extradited him but what we do know is that there were traces of beskar at the scene of the crime and that's and and it got I got reminded of a theory I had like a while back, which was is it possible that there are death troopers, you know, or like or death troopers, dark troopers? Um, is it possible that there are death troopers made of Beskar? I mean, it, it is possible, but or that Moff Gideon has been working with Mandalorians the entire time. Uh, that one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really lean towards that unless, uh, yeah, I don't remember who our which guest it was, but I know somebody brought up that maybe he used to be a Mandalorian. He's like a very disgruntled Mandalorian. He's... I would freaking love that because I mean, my thought is either a, he's potentially Mandalorian or B he's working with a Mandalorian or some Mandalorians, you know, like there's something going on that something's not adding up about why he knows so much about Mandalorian culture. Like why he would even have the dark saber in the first place and why Beskar would be present. Like, so there, because Beskar could also be present just because he wants to pin it on the Mandalorian. So, you know, he knew how to, he placed it there as like a calculated, you know, like he, he engineered it, right. Like made it calculated. So it would point back to the Mandalorian. So. Mm -hmm. Well, Weirdly enough, again, tying tying into the last handful of episodes of Rebels I just watched, because okay. uh, which was weird because the episode started out the way this episode ended to some degrees. Because the episode, the last episode I watched of uh, Rebels, the ghosts, of course, that's uh, the ship that like Hera and all them, all the mm -hmm. ghosts, the rebels are on. Uh, they come out of hyperspace, and there's a rebellion ship that's been attacked and everything. And it's floating in space, just like the one we saw at the end of Rebels. Obviously, of course, that's Imperial. But in that episode, it's implied that uh, 
Thrawn attacked it. So now I have oh. my theory that uh, my theory is, I guess for me is maybe coming a little closer now. Obviously, of course, we're never going to know till we get to it. But right, that's my only theory is maybe Thrawn got an extracted Moff Gideon, and like you, and oh. almost kind of like you said too, maybe he he's pinning it on. Uh, He's pinning. <laughs> Are you good? You okay? I'm good. Sorry that. Okay. Yeah, okay. you're good. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe the Empire is trying to pin it on the Mandalorians so that the New Republic is more focused on the Mandalorians themselves, and that way that the Empire is in the background, like slowly regrowing, slowly getting their forces back up so yes. they can launch a full-on attack, and maybe attack both Mandalorians and the New Republic at the same time, and they can just wipe them all out. Oh, that is so... Yeah, because I think the problem is, like, when you get into Thrawn and Moff Gideon, right, like, you get into this, like, these antagonists who, like, play 4D, you know, like, four-dimensional chess. So, I mean, it's even possible that... And this is going, like, way, way theoretical, you know, like, below the conspiracy theory iceberg here. It's possible that like Gideon or Thrawn engineered the attack on Navarro to like get all the Mandalorians out in the open in one place, right? Like if he had connections or like bribed someone, I don't know, pretty much trying to draw out Mandalorians because he knew that they were offered attractive land or something like that. He could get them all together in like one location where he knows he can wipe them out, especially after, uh, especially after we saw that attack by an unknown assailant on Bo-Katan's, uh, fortress so that's potentially moth or thrawn or both you know so we got a lot of we got a lot of options man we got a lot of there's a lot left in the air and we got three episodes left well that's the other reason why i'm still doing my theory about that this could still be thrawn because i mean mm-hmm. the attack on bo uh castle essentially you know it was a very calculated plan they took enough they took Mando and Bo away, and then that way the bombers could come in, destroy her land. She tries to chase after them, and then that whole fleet of TIE fighters come out. Yeah. They're very, very calculated with how they're doing things in the same way, too, with the way the ship's just floating in space. Moff Gideon is gone. We have the dead pilots in there. We have that Beskar, all the other things going on there. So mm-hmm. There's just so much. And I mean... Part of the problem is like now we get into like Aliyah Kane. So this is what I was going to bring up, right? We get into Aliyah Kane and how like secretive she is. And I think that the only way the the Empire or Thrawn might have known of like that confident, you know, that like confidential Lambda cruiser that was like out and about is if someone were on the inside relaying that information to him. And I yep. think that might have been Aliyah Kane. Yep. I, I've yet to ever trust her since she first walked into that. Fun, fun little fact, I guess I don't know if you really remember, in episode three when yeah. Anakin goes to meet up with Palpatine, they're like at that like opera, they got all the lights and yep. everything out there. That's the same place where... Uh, Dr. Pershing was... Was giving his big speech. That's the same, like the opera house, I think it's called. I thought so. It felt very, it felt very similar to me, you know, and then uh, seeing them all out on like the balconies and the terraces and all that, I was like, man, this feels, this feels similar. That makes that makes sense now. Thank you. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought it was like the uh, 
the Senate area where we saw in, I guess, have you been watching Bad Batch this past season? I have not. I have okay. not. I've fallen off on Bad Batch as well. That's on me. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess in, uh, oh, I guess still in uh, episode three where uh, Palpatine and Yoda fight at the end, they're in that big room with all the platforms. Yeah. I, I For whatever reason, that's where I thought they actually were in that episode. Obviously, turns out they were at the opera house. But anyway, not, not the whole point. The whole point right, of me right. being is uh, when Alia Kane first walks into that room, I just I just the look in her eye, I could just tell. I'm like, no, nah, nah, something's up with her. And then, of course, throughout the episode, slowly working its way. And then we get that the ending where she, as you keep saying, mind flays. She does. Just okay. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a mind flare, you know. And that's like what he was saying is he's like, no, this is a mind flare, and that also feels calculated, right? Like there's no reason she would have had to like fry his brain unless there was something benefiting her. Yeah, there. She's definitely covering something up. So Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something is definitely up i definitely do think that she is secretly working with either moff gideon or again uh, i still don't know but i'm still gonna keep saying it maybe she's working with thrawn or whoever the villain is gonna be yep i mean we we, we will not know until hopefully the end of the season do we know what this next season do we know what this next episode is going to be called because now i'm also man there's i know i'm still i'm still going with my theory that there might be something having to do with mandalorians like whether moth is like an old mandalorian whether i don't know maybe he's got new death troopers with mandalorian i mean with beskar alloy or something or yeah. there are some bad or there's a bad bunch of mandalorians out there up to no good i don't know there's something going on and i'm really excited yeah uh, the only, like I said, the only thing I know, the next episode is uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Yep. I think they revealed the runtime. I believe this next episode is going to be it's between like 40, 45 minutes, somewhere in there. But other than that, name-wise, I, I have no idea what it's called. <sighs> so. That is. It needs to get here, though. Yes. Gosh, it's a, Yes. Oh man, it, I'm. I don't know, this dude. What are, you, what are what are your thoughts? I'm, before I cut you off, man. Gosh, dude, I got a lot to think about. This, I definitely think this is. Uh, I'm trying to think of what we always use the term. I want to. This is like a stepping stone episode, but it's like yes. it sets so many stones that I like. I I can't even keep up. Like my head is still spinning from everything. Well, it just like ties together so much, like. The past several weeks, I've been like, I'm waiting to see how this pays off. I'm waiting to see how this pays off. Because each of the episodes before this felt like they were building up to this episode. You know what I mean? It's like, and now it feels like we're on the trajectory. Like, now it feels like we're on that trajectory for the rest of the season. Yes, I would agree with you there. So, I guess, do you have any uh, final thoughts, any final comments before we get into our rating? I mean, super. I don't know. I think we're gonna see. A, I think we're gonna see another battle for the dark saber before the end of the series or at the end of the season. I don't know if that means Din is finally gonna learn how to use it, right? Or if he's gonna get it relinquished. If he's gonna have to give it up. 
but I think we're going to see the Darksaber either be wielded by Din effectively, or we're going to see it, we're going to see someone take it from him. Or both. You know, I mean, it could be both. I know that uh, the Darksaber got freely given to, uh, got freely given to Bo-Katan, and that ended poorly for the Mandalorian. So let's hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah, I mean, I guess in regards to, like, my theories for the next episode, I mean, obviously, you know, we're I, I'm assuming we're going to see a full Bo-Katan episode. She's going to mm-hmm. go and try to find these other Mandalorians. But kind of, I guess, bouncing off you a little bit with uh, Din and the Darksaber, mm-hmm. I guess really the only thing I could see in regards to him with the Darksaber is maybe Bo teaches him how to use it instead of, like, armor oh. or anybody. So maybe she'll end up being like his teacher or something, maybe. But that's kind of really all I have for like my final thoughts in regards to like the next episode. So I guess the only other thing that I want is I want Din to have like a a hand to hand what like a martial weapon that lasts because he's lost the spear. He might lose the dark saber, so I want him to have like another spear or he lost his like you know he lost his cool rifle. So I don't know. At the end of the day, I want this season to end with him having like a cool new weapon as well. I'm going to – that's that's the fanboy in me. I don't know. I'm going to say that's like what I want this season to end me with. Give give Din a cool new weapon or leave him with the Darksaber. Okay, fair enough. So I guess uh, our rating out of 10, what would you give this episode? Man, I'm going to give it a solid 9. I am giving this episode a nine. Could be a little bit higher in the future, but this episode hit on every note that I wanted to hit on. You know, we got action, we got story and character development. Um, we got a huge setup for the rest of the season, and we got a lot of payoff from the first half of the season. So I'm going to set myself at nine upon a rewatch. Once the series is wrapped up, I might rate it higher. But what about you, man? Out of 10, what are you thinking, Austin? And Grover. What are you thinking, Austin and Grover? Uh, I, I think I'm right beside you, man. I, I'm leaning towards like a 9, maybe like a 9.25. Wow. This is like the first time we've been like, I think this is the first time all season we've been synced up on a score. I, I, think, I think just in general, like, I, I Grant, I think the finale of last season, though, I think you, me, and Ren were all pretty well on the same page with that one. But yeah. But yeah, yeah, this season, yeah, we're, we're pretty well tied. I, yeah, same thing you said, man. Great character development, great stepping stones, awesome action, probably some of the best action we've gotten this season thus far. Just I wish we could have gotten a little more from the pirates is all my thing. And yeah, maybe the pirates could have been built up a little bit better than just have them pop up in the first episode and then they just randomly pop back up here. So, yeah, I would say that's something that threw me off too is uh, I know I was hoping I th- still think they went out in a grand way but just did not have like a lot of setup for it to feel like as much of a payoff like with as big of a threat as it felt like they were in the first episode. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. Other than that, that's really my only grievance. Other than that, man, this, this was a great episode. I mm-hmm. might boldly be saying this already, but this might be like top five of the whole series. I would agree. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that as well. Once again, all all hinging upon a rewatch. But yeah, this is a masterclass episode. I was really hoping for this from the start, but I'm glad like we're finally get 
hitting a stride here. Yeah, I I don't want to say the first half of the season was like weak by any means, but mm-hmm. if, if the next three episodes continue with like this level of I don't know entertainment or this level of like action and everything storytelling. Yeah, we might get some amazing couple of episodes still coming out of the series. So yeah, I think this one, this episode was also just like one of those like trust the process experiences. You know, where it's like you got to trust it. You know, you got to trust us. Episode one, you got to trust us. Episode two, and so on. And it's like okay, yeah, this is this is worth everything I was setting up because now now I see that we're in for we're in for a treat for the next three episodes. Yes, yes, I am definitely a lot more excited than I have been the last few weeks. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad this episode gave me everything that I've wanted from this season thus far. So, but that is going to do it for episode five of the Talkalorian Live. I, of course, obviously want to thank Andy for being here again this week. Uh, next week we do plan on having a guest I believe next week is going to be Travis so we'll get his thoughts on because he was here on our uh, first first official episode of our Boba Fett podcast we did so uh, we'll get his thoughts and opinions of the series thus far and of course we'll get maybe some of his thoughts and theories of what's coming up very nice and we do have uh, the rest of our guests lined up. We will we'll wait to announce them just to make sure you know things are still kosher. But uh, yeah, I'm very, very happy, very excited for what is coming up here with the final three episodes of The Mandalorian. Heck yes. Heck freaking yep. yes. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of the Talkalorian Live. Make sure you guys. Stay tuned. We have we have four more episodes left of the show, and then unfortunately we will be done once again. But hopefully, we will have our answers or our questions answered. Let's say our answers answered. But yeah, anyway, I'm gonna shut up now. But uh, <laughs> but thanks again, guys, for tuning in. So uh, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you in the next one. Yeah.